Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hello, everybody. Hi, Luke. How's it going? Hey, Katie. I am uh, excited for the second installation of your two-parter yeah. on the draft riots. I know. I, so good. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed going through that history with you because you are knowledgeable about it. And also as a fellow uh, Irish American, I realized as I was <laughs> lis listening back to the episode, you asked me about my Irish ancestry, but I didn't, you didn't get to tell me about yours. When did you guys come here? Sure, sure. So Luke, is, um, Luke so, currently all the time wears a clattering, by the way. So he is like legit Irish American. I am very Irish American. My DNA results come back like 98% Irish. <laughs> um, so it's very, very true American. So um, my parents, uh, my dad's family came over, we believe, we believe in the 1840s. So they were potato people. So we are trying to figure out <gasps> wow. where they land in the story. We don't really know. The family mm -hmm. history is kind of is kind of non-existent before 1850 to 55. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if any of those guys fought in the Civil War. And a lot of them have very common Irish names like Boyd and Harden. And it's like you look, at the Civil War, you look at the Civil War database and it's like one of 35,000 results. Patrick <laughs> Harden engaged. And it's like, no. And so it's hard to know. But they were working class folk, you know, and they got here then. And then my mom's family came over in like the 20th century. So it's an interesting two waves of the Irish so that's diaspora. So so for all we know, your fam could very much have been at minimum present for the mayhem. Oh, yeah. they, they were living in Brooklyn and Manhattan at the time. So they were all it. Yikes. <laughs> Let's hope that they didn't <laughs> kill anyone. <laughs> Let's hope that whatever they did has been erased thanks <laughs> to white power structures. Thank Amen. you. Amen. Yay. Uh, I do hope at some point you, you get to fully uncover that. It gets so hard. This is the, and I'm sure anybody else who has a immigrant, an immigrant past yeah. from yeah. anywhere earlier than like the mid 20th century, it gets really hard to figure out who was it's where super and murky. When, and yeah, it's very hard because I mean, everyone's poor. <laughs> no one. Has everyone's money. poor. No one is thinking like, is this being documented? Everybody just wants to get a job, get paid, get a roof yeah. over their heads. And, you know. No, we need to write this sure... down because my nerdy great, great, great grandson, Luke, is going to want to talk about it on a podcast. I know it. For the unborn descendants who may or may not be talking about me, my name is Kitty Boyd. Um, you know, and if you've been to Ellis Island, I'm sure you've been or maybe your relatives have, like, you know, tried to look up the family connection. And the Ellis Island story is really a brief, albeit super high volume time of immigration we're that a lot of even, us don't fall into. Yeah, we're not even in the Ellis Island period when we're talking about No, this we're Irish way before that. We're way before that. That's later later 19th into the 20th century. If you're like if you're Italian, you likely have some Ellis Island in you. Oh, I you know. my grand both my grandparents. <laughs> I do know my mom's side because both my right. grandparents immigrated in the 1920s. So that's easy. There you go. It's the yeah. other side, the fucking Irish Mick bastards. <laughs> I don't know what right. the hell they were doing. But yes. Anyway, I wanted to make sure that we knew about your sketchy Irish past as well, which sounds like yours Thank might be you. a little sketchier than mine. <laughs> mine is alarmingly close to this. So yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting to think about what your forebears would have experienced. So speaking of which, uh let's let's find out some of the things your relatives did, Luke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't besmirch. My potato people. 
<laughs> oh, so these potato lovers, uh, we are, as you guys may recall, we are in day one of the draft riots. It's been a lot of violence, mainly against property, but things have started to turn towards mm -hmm. violence towards people. And as I mentioned last time, it's specifically centered at this point on black people living in New York City. So I'm going to just hit the ground running here by talking about one of the most infamous acts of cruelty from the entirety of the riots, but particularly that day, the burning down of the colored orphan asylum. This is this is definitely it's it's absolutely horrible. So the mob makes its way to 43rd Street and Fifth Avenue. That is where the colored orphan asylum which was at the time providing shelter to 233 children. That's where it was located. And this was such a monumental gift for the city at the time because always poverty is such an issue in New York City, of course. But you had this whole population of these children, these unwanted children with nowhere to go. And there, there was such an effort put into making sure they were provided with shelter, with food, with clothing. And so this was actually a place that was pretty well funded for the time. Yeah. And so I have a, an account from a paper at the time. They say at 4 p.m. on July 13th, the children numbering 233 were quietly seated in their schoolrooms, playing in the nursery or reclining on a sick bed in the hospital when an infuriated mob consisting of several thousand men, women, and children armed with clubs, brick, bats, etc., advanced upon the institution. Mm. They knew this place was stocked. They knew it was full of food, full of clothing, other supplies. So it was a very obvious place to loot for that reason. Prime for looting. Yeah. Right. So when they're done, they then proceed to light it on fire. Thankfully, before the mob really took hold, the police were able to basically deter them just long enough to get all of the staff and the children out of the building unharmed, which is a right. bloody fucking miracle. Really. Thank goodness it could be evacuated. Yes. I can barely wrangle my one three and a half year old getting 233 children out of a building. Jesus Christ. It's impressive, to say the least. Yeah. It really yeah. is a miracle. And from beginning to end, this was 20 minutes from the moment the people got to the building to the moment it burned down to the fucking ground. It was ash. Leveled to cinders. Completely. So mm. the children... Uh, they make their way to the 35th Street Police Station where they actually stay basically homeless for three days and nights <laughs> before they're moved to an almhouse, a.k.a. a poorhouse, on Blackwell's Island, known today as Roosevelt's Island. We've mentioned it before on the podcast, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a tragedy because that's where they were in the first place before the asylum was built. In the city. Right. So they're back to living in the, um, in the worst conditions. In the Gangs of New York movie, uh, with all of its historical, you know, liberties, yes. um, the uh, Amsterdam character does, I believe, come from Blackwell's Island in an, in an orphanage. And so, mm -hmm. or, a, or a sort of home for, you know, abandoned youth. And you get a sense, as you can imagine, it's very Dickensian, you know, 
very barbaric conditions. A lot of times these yes. were in, whereas these kids were benefiting from the largesse of the relief societies and the philanthropic arm of New York, which for all of its problems, New York being a center of, you know, power, wealth, poverty, it's highs and lows. It's hate and, mm-hmm. you know, ill will towards people of color, but also the most evolved abolitionists of the age yeah. are, you know, funneling their money there. So uh, I'm interested to know if there's any kind of, you know, um, landmarking of that spot, because that's a really, you know, that's that's Midtown. Like, that's a very trafficked spot. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit about what ha- I mean, I guess I could just tell you now. So basically, they once this all comes to an end, um, they try to just rebuild it. And the people, mm. the neighbors in the area were like, no fucking way. Because people are scared. Like, if anything like this ever happened yeah. again, we don't need you here. We don't want you here. Like, get the fuck out. We already got hit once. Mm-hmm. Hit once. So they end up getting shoved mm-hmm. all the way uptown. I want to say that it ends up actually more in the Bronx, if I'm not okay. mistaken. So, I mean, it's a sad ending. And it's nothing now. I don't think there's a marker from what I could tell, which again is also really tragic and sad. But um, the the colored orphan asylum did become an, an continued to be an important place for many decades to come. Um, so you know it was temporarily destroyed, but it wasn't it wasn't totally killed, which is an amazing. It survived thing. the event. It survived yeah. the the entity itself survived the event. Yes. yes. So. Um, and and speaking of Blackwell Island, uh, this becomes not just where these unfortunate children had to run off to. It becomes a place where a lot of Black New Yorkers begin to escape to because it's it's far mm-hmm. enough away that you can easily just hide there <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> sure, sure. You, know? you can go there. You can be there undetected. Yeah. So it's it becomes a primary safe haven at the time. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean in general at this point people are walking out of you know the city and getting on boats and ferries they are hiding in like the woods of new jersey and staten island i mean they're doing whatever they can to get the fuck out of the insanity that i mean we're still only in day one and people are already like like fuck this i'm out (laughs) Which and these are things you do. These are things you do in wartime. Sure, things you're saying. You know, exactly. like hiding your children. You know, fleeing. Um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> pretty drastic. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that particular crime is always. If you're looking at like a quick like bullet point list of what happened during the draft riots, that one always yes. makes the cut because it is so fucking egregious. It is so disgusting. Why the hell? Are you going after the most defenseless people who absolutely have nothing to do with the draft? Like, yeah, no, it's it's disturbing beyond belief. And the answer is because there's this deep, deep hatred towards black people that has been growing amongst the poor, white, working class Irish immigrants who are are afraid for their livelihood and homes and who have been sort of spurred on by copperheads and other uh, factions who are like, yeah, no, fuck them. You're right. You do what you got to do. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. And what's really scary too is this place 
being so well cared for and so well maintained and funded, there are people at the time, poor white people, who would have felt like this is a fucking slap in our faces. Because who's taking mm-hmm. care of me and my kind? Like, this is a sign. I've, I've seen it written in a few different places where they called it an imposing symbol of white charity towards blacks and black upward mobility. And nothing is more terrifying to poor racist white people than black upward mobility. So yes. if we can just say it very bluntly, if you kill them when they're kids, that's it. Right. Sure. That's the end of the upward mobility, which is mm-hmm. sickening. And I think that's goes for absolutely the worst contingent of this mob. I think some people were really in it for the looting and the bullshit. Yes. Then the I racist so stuff, you know, this really scary yeah. stuff. Um, but we would be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that that was certainly fucking part of this because it absolutely was. And you're talking about the base motivations of the mob. You yeah. know, this is a race riot. So it this has is become one. Yes. Two. Yeah. This is two of the. This is two of what one could argue the lowest groups of the social hierarchy mm-hmm. who are battling it out. You know, the the people of color are on the defense. The Irish folk and the lower income folk are on the offense. And uh, the the unsaid becomes said. Yeah. The things whispered in a tavern become, yeah, let's fucking do that. And there are so many of these moments where the worst thing, you know, could have happened. You know, on Staten Island in 1858, there was a, the quarantine station was burned down, which was an immigrant you know, isolation unit Mm -hmm. on Staten Island. If you had a contagious disease before Ellis Island, you were shipped to Staten Island. Right. And the citizens burned it down. It was a very interesting story to talk about in the pandemic. (sighs) And they went out of their way to make sure that the quarantine was evacuated. Right. But there must have been some who maybe weren't in the leadership, the organizers who would have not batted an eye if there was an opportunity to commit an act of brutality against a you know uh, an immigrant with cholera, you know something like that. Yeah, and and there are a few examples. Um, I I'm not going to go into every single horrible violent act that happened here during the riots, but there's several examples that I've read where violence is perpetrated or about to be perpetrated against um, mm-hmm. black children or women. And anytime someone tries to intervene, who is white, maybe even they were part of the mob, they themselves are attacked with equal violence. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's almost like you put chum in the water, right? With a bunch Mm -hmm. of sharks. Mm -hmm. They can't even fucking stop themselves anymore. They're so out of control. And the anger is so intense. And what will possibly sate that that appetite besides physical exhaustion perhaps not even sating it just limiting it and the the worst and stupidest part of any mob violence is you don't think about how this ends for you because it is gonna end (laughs) it is (laughs) (laughs) so at some point the national guard rolled into attica with the helicopters like yeah (laughs) (laughs) it might feel good in the moment No, fixed bayonets. Yep. Not long, not not long for this world. No, no. Yeah. So the orphanage is just one of the many examples of this misplaced anger towards black people that becomes a major theme of this riot. 
as it gave white people, particularly disenfranchised white people, an opportunity to finally release all of this fucking fury they had about the system they're living under. Right. Violence breaks out everywhere, certainly wherever there are black neighborhoods or predominantly black neighborhoods, but also uh, there was a lot of violence by longshoremen. The docks were a particularly terrifying place, which Luke is laughing because he's thinking about the scene in Gangs of New York. <laughs> <laughs> that and Marlon Brando. Yes. And like a lot of Always. longshoremen homoerotic images well, come to mind. Pardon me. Well. Get your head out of the gutter and get it back uh-huh. into the riots. So. <laughs> Walt Whitman had a great time during the riots. Oh. Ask me how I know. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was a ride. Uh-huh. Come in the water. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, as I've mentioned a few times, we'll never probably really know the total uh, death toll, but it's been noted, mm-hmm. documented with a great amount of certainty that 11 black men were hanged during this time, these four days. Women and children as young as seven are beaten to death. And here is a quote, a really chilling fucking quote from a buffalo newspaper from the time and this talks about one of these lynchings yeah west of broadway below 26th all was quiet at nine o'clock last night a crowd was at the corner of 7th avenue and 27th street at the time this was the scene of the hanging of a negro in the morning and another at six o'clock in the evening the body of the one hung in the morning presented a shocking appearance at the station house His fingers and toes had been sliced off, and there was scarcely an inch of his flesh which was not gashed. Late in the afternoon, a Negro was dragged out of his house in West 27th Street, beaten down on the sidewalk, pounded in a horrible manner, and then hanged to a tree. I am sparing some of the most grisly parts of this story, but that alone gives you so much information about the straight barbarism. These men who were being lynched, some were being lit on yes. fire alive. Um, the, the thing they mentioned in this article about figures and toes being sliced off as like keepsakes, that people oh. were doing that as prizes. People were being humiliated sexually, uh, dragged through the streets. I mean, it was as if these people had ever done anything wrong. And obviously they hadn't. No one deserves this kind of treatment regardless, but these are truly innocent individuals being targeted purely for their skin color. And it's... And unfortunately, this is the hallmark of many American violent historical moments is a lynching, which, you know, for many of us is not something we've ever experienced firsthand or understand or witnessed or anything like that, thank goodness. And especially for those of us, if we come from a certain part of the country, um, but it, it... something of a national exercise or pastime, you know, a, a, a riot had not been fully exercised or done correctly (laughs) if a lynching of a person of color had not happened. Right. You know, and it's basically a public hanging is what it eventually becomes, you know, and that word is I think used a lot, but it's very remote for a lot of us. And it's extremely confronting. Yeah. And there's been so much research on the sheer volume and frequency of lynchings in our national story that is it's wild shocking Shocking. and to unfortunately add these numbers in these few days yeah and lynching um 
not everybody may know this. Lynching doesn't necessarily mean hanging. They are not one. It usually includes a hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lynching can be a hanging, but this can also be pe- everything that happened to these people. And thusly, it ends in hanging. Many of these people likely already could have been dead by the time they were hung. So it's not necessarily yeah. a death by hanging, if that makes sense. But they... A mob execution. It ends. Yeah. yeah, it ends in some sort of horrendous display of the individual who has been murdered. So there's a lot of that in this as sort of a symbol of the power of the mob. And we see this, you're absolutely right, Luke, we see the same kind of fear-mongering used throughout the South in the following several decades after the Civil War. Years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's years. really, really disturbing. Beyond words, you don't need me to go into much more detail on some of this stuff. This alone speaks volumes. And this is only day one, okay? Mm-hmm. All of that carnage and destruction is only happened in this one day so far. Luckily, temporarily, things kind of chill out for a little bit because it rains heavily throughout the night. So the rioters kind of relax, recede, go home, go get fucking drunk, probably. Um, and the rain also helps because it put- rain. <laughs> yeah, rain also helps put out some of the fires, which is very helpful (laughs) (laughs) the best thing for a battle or for a fire rain uh, or for a for a riot is a fire rain don't go away (laughs) stick around (laughs) but uh unfortunately once the rain abated the rioters returned and they continued their attacks on people and property which brings us into day two july 14th so now things aren't so good (laughs) and obviously newspapers and politicians everybody's freaking the fuck out uh Mm -hmm. the governor at the time horatio seymour which is all-time best fucking governor name (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately he's a fucking peace democrat so he sucks (laughs) and he's useless he does and he he does he's a capitalist he sucks and not even I don't know, not even 10 days prior, actually exactly 10 days prior, he was railing against this draft and therefore also drumming up some of this fucking anger about the draft. Get the red meat he going. He was not yeah. helping. So this guy shows up cool as a cucumber and speaks at City Hall to this furious crowd and is just like, guys, you're all perfect beautiful special angels i love you you're right okay i agree this isn't cool that they're trying to draft you you know they can't take your jobs they can't take your jobs they can't jerk your gerbs (laughs) they can't do that they can't do that i'm calling washington right now i'm telegraphing them ASAP. Oh, by the way, in the last episode, I accidentally said they were pulling up telephone wires out Oops. of habit when I met Oops. Telegraph. Telegraph. My, Jay heard that when I was editing. He was like, are you going to fix that? I was like, it's fine. <laughs> it's human. They knew what I meant. Oh, my God. Anyway, so, yeah, he <laughs> takes this. I know my fucking critic over here. Yeah, uh, his approach is one of tremendous sympathy. And it's not a bad tactic because 
he is trying to use this to be like, so can we all just fucking chill out now? <laughs> I see your point, but hey, come on, guys. Like, someone's got to work at the factory on Monday. Come on. Right? So, but he he makes it clear he's going to appeal to Washington to get them to repeal the Conscription Act and therefore end the draft. And Look, buddy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it's it's a wild move. He is criticized by obviously every Republican in New York City for this move because it's a slap in the face to every single human being has, who has already been victimized by this mob because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous stance. It's but a it's ratification not a, of what they're of their of their grievance. It reminds it's saying this me, violence is justified. Yeah. It reminds me of the way that Trump talked to the about the January 6th people. Very much. Equivocate. You're all, you're all special people. Yeah. There are people <laughs> on both sides who have issues, but we're going to yeah. march down, you know, America's main street. Oof. Okay. I don't want to go, go too much further. I don't want to go too much further. <laughs> I'm done. Anyway. So back to Historical this insurrection. Riot, yes. Recent riots. No. <laughs> Yeah, back to this insurrection. Please. So simultaneously, while he's having this little tea party with his, with his bros. Virtually uh, yours, H. Seymour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at this point, General John E. Wool, commander of the Eastern District, has 800 soldiers and Marines coming in from forts in New York Harbor, West Point, and the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Thank fucking God. There's going to be some help. The C so. team that hasn't seen any action. <laughs> oh my the God. Bench, the benchers. <laughs> the bench warmers. Exactly. <laughs> I thought we didn't have to fight. <laughs> I didn't say the war would come up here. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it is also ordered that all militias on the front must return to New York ASAP. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. to. <laughs> so, and again, Gettysburg has only just concluded. So, getting just. everybody on marching orders from Pennsylvania is going to take a minute. It's, <laughs> it's a long walk. Yeah, it's a long walk. <laughs> and remember, as you know, you can you can mock this mob all you want for being these dumb working class hobos or whatever but yeah. like mm-hmm. they were smart enough to already be creating barricades around the city mm-hmm. to fuck up the the rail by yes. pulling up the tracks Sabotage. they know yeah. they know this is what they're going to do next is to send in military so they're I mean, going to do exactly what, they exactly what the exactly what the confederates would do in the same situation they'd tear up yeah. the road <laughs> tear up the rain the rain bed you know destroy all yeah. the exits isolate everybody hunker down yep get ready for well, a long I mean, assault Totes. <laughs> so. A siege, if you were. If you were, yeah. So uh, the violence continues. <laughs> the, here is another excerpt. This is, this is another piece of violence from this day, which is really insane. Uh, the subheading for this article, is, it's very self-explanatory of what it's about. Um, the murder of colored people in Thompson and Sullivan Streets. So obviously this is occurring in what we now know as Soho. Mm -hmm. And it says at a late hour on Tuesday night, the mob made an attack upon the tenement houses occupied by colored people in Sullivan and Thompson streets for three hours and up to two o'clock yesterday morning, 
there was what may be truly said to be a reign of terror throughout all that portion of the city. Several buildings were fired, and a large number of colored persons were beaten so badly that they lay insensible in the street for hours after. Two colored children at number 59 Thompson Street were shot and instantly killed. Men, women, and children in large number flocked to the 8th Precinct Station House for protection. Over 100 of them were accommodated with temporary shelter. And something I didn't mention yet that is very important, part of this looting process was people stealing guns and Mm -hmm. any type of armory that they could Mm -hmm. so that they could be a scarier mob, a well-armed mob. Which is terrifying. Which they did show in Gangs of New York. They indeed show that. They robbed and the so, rich guy's armor, you know, his gun cabinet. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go to the armory. Right. Yeah. That's where you know, they know all the guns are. It wasn't the worst idea. So, yeah. So there are efforts to try to protect the armory. Um, any place where there there was known to be guns. Depositories that, would, of weapons, yeah. Yeah, they would try to send police force there as quickly as they oh. could. By this point, if there's militia that's in town, they would be sent to defend those places. Um, there are uh, some federal troops that are there, and they are the ones who begin to assault the barricades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are firing on the crowd they drive the rioters back and they're able to dismantle some of the barricades making it more possible as these different troops come in that they can actually fucking penetrate (laughs) the wall and get into the city and this scene apparently repeated a total of four times before they could actually totally destroy one of these barriers this was one that was on the east side a lot of this happens on the east side um and it was completely terrifying that they just wouldn't stop. They're not like totally afraid that they're confronting soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, which is because I guess there's, I think in their mind, which is totally valid. Like if you're going to send me to war, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well give this everything I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting for your right not to fight in a war you mm-hmm. don't believe in or for a cause you don't believe in. Yeah. Or because you think it's an unjust taking by the government, taking of your freedom, your liberty. It's a huge, it's a huge American, you know, conundrum in terms Mm -hmm. of founding ideals. So much to the chagrin of the mob, the police and the military are starting to work together now pretty well, (laughs) (laughs) which is not good good. for them. Um, And though Tuesday had been really bad uh, and the police were stretched insanely thin at this point. They were holding on to this hope because they knew very soon there were about 4,000 federal troops on their way to the city mm-hmm. to give them some relief, which would make a huge difference in all of this. Um, one of the most interesting little tidbits that I came across, and this is a wild story. So um, there was a contingent of police that was fighting around 22nd Street, and a mob was burning buildings like uh, like 10 to 15 blocks north of that. A troop of about 150 soldiers and an artillery unit from uh, like a New York volunteer artillery unit. They were the, what do I have? The 11th. They were sent there to assist the police and they were able to to disperse most of the crowd. But in the process, they pissed off some of the rioters. 
And there was a man in charge. His name was Colonel H.T. O'Brien, which is crazy that he's on the right side and not in the Irish crowd, because that is such an Irish name. Yes. (laughs) So Mr. O'Brien, sorry, Colonel O'Brien. Colonel O'Brien, how are (laughs) you? How are you? Well, I'll tell you, lad, I'm going to discharge these two cannons on this crowd right now. (laughs) (laughs) Give them hell, boys. Give them a nine pounder. And the men fire live ammunition or the heads of the rioters. And apparently bullets whizzed through the air all over the place, going through buildings. I mean, it's kind of a mess, to be honest. And it kills seven people, yeah, none of whom were involved in the rioting. Two of them were children oh. in windows. No. God. Yeah. So not long after, I think within the day... Uh, he is basically stalked in his yeah. neighborhood. Uh, someone recognizes him. A woman throws a stone at him and he whips around and shoots her. Oh, and oh. then immediately a mob of people are on him. They beat yeah. him with bricks and clubs. He is beaten for six fucking hours. Dies. <sighs> Yeah, like like <laughs> you've heard the phrase "beaten to a pulp." That was this I, guy. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. That was this. Oh, guy. He was basically awful. he had been beaten so badly he was naked. Oh. He, yeah. Yes. Oh. oh. And this was one of those situations that I mentioned before that uh, someone tried to give him water, tried to help him, and they also uh, beat that guy. And then looted his store. And then a girl who was protesting the violence was also beaten. And the house where she was boarding was destroyed, which has nothing to do with them. Right. And there was a cat who looked at the mob and they were like, fuck that cat. And they killed it. And like, (laughs) come on. And the final uh, nail in that coffin was uh, his head was crushed with a stone. So, yeah. It's a terrifying mob. I mean, these people are fucking scary. I can't, it's hard for me to imagine anything like this in our modern day and age. The amount of effort and will needed. Yeah. To do this. And it's and, a, a lot of collective will. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it makes me feel ill to think of this yeah, possibility. Horrible. horrible. And this it's not like this doesn't happen in countries now, but this sure. is not an America that you or I recognize. This is no, total not the lawlessness. Ordered, not the ordered world we know. No, no. In so this region. Wild, no. yeah, so it's wild to know that this is only 160 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, let's go to day three. So... <laughs> Some good news finally arrives when the Assistant Provost Marshal General Robert Nugent receives word from his superior officer, Colonel James Barnett Fry, that they're postponing the draft. What a great idea. (laughs) Give them what they want. Oh, oh, do you think? Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe we shouldn't try to do a little draft wheel right now? What do you think would happen to someone who tried to do a draft right now? Yeah. Stop drawing names. <laughs> you derp. So oh they thought, all right, if this riot is about the draft, as soon as we stop the draft, that'll stop the riot. Lance the boil. And, 
And as the news appears in newspapers, it did begin to deter some of the rioters who would stay home, say, all right, we're winning. We got what we wanted. Great. <laughs> but here's the thing. As we know, at this point, for a lot of these people, this isn't about the draft anymore. Mm. <sighs> this is about being exhausted from being under the boot of capitalism. Mm -hmm. This is about racism to the nth degree. And in the words of Harper Weekly, a famous newspaper of the day, Luke, I know you know them well, this was about the, quote, extermination of the Negro race, end mm -hmm. quote. There are people who are, who are in it to the bitter fucking end. People who have been waiting their whole lives the for such an yeah. opportunity. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. For a permission this structure. Is, Correct. This is not about the draft. This is the first time this population of poorer white people have felt like they have some kind of power and they are going to abuse the hell out of it as long as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And this is a scary moment. And this is why you don't treat the larger percentage of the population like shit. Because they're going to get mad sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Hello. Hello, French Revolution. Hello, New exactly. York draft riots. Hello, proletariat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Nikki and Alex. Hello. <laughs> we all remember you. 300 years got nothing on mm -mm. the Ruskies. Hex no. So uh so yeah, it's um So we're cooling. We're in the cooling period. I can't, I, it, it is, but it is simmering. If it's that, it's, if it's, that makes sense. It, the boil was Lance, but it's still boiling. <laughs> <We're>, yes, <laughs> that's actually <laughs> a disgusting but good way to put it. Parboiled, charboiled, broiled, boiled, <laughs> burnt to a crisp. <laughs> I mean, that's clearly you and I. But uh. in terms of riots, <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's probably uh, almost almost. At a simmer now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for the percentage of monsters who were undeterred by the news about the draft, this is where the riot actually starts to have a bit of a spread. And we end up in Brooklyn, mm. in Staten Island, which is mm. why this is known as the New York City draft riots and not strictly the Manhattan draft riots, as sometimes they're called. But they really aren't just in Manhattan. They're not. Right. That should get around. Um, it certainly Luke, did. You could probably speak to some of the happenings on Staten Island. I only did like the tiniest little glimpse into what happened in Brooklyn and Staten Island on um, during this event. And as much as I could understand was, again, because it's it's a huge topic in and of itself, yeah. which is, you know, wild. Um, mm. It seems like it's some of the violence is very similar on a smaller scale, obviously. Um, and one of those reasons would be that... <laughs> <laughs> the first day when people who were living in like Brooklyn and Staten Island heard there was a riot in the city, they were like, Ma, grab your things. We're getting on the ferry to go steal some shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. So people are finally coming back home and you get a little aftershock. Um, but yeah, from what I understand, you know, there were some people of color who were targeted and were victims of violence in their homes. And they were also, you know, if you can believe this, there was a whole abolitionist neighborhood on Staten Island of white people um, I know. who lived in Livingston and they were really into black freedom. 
And some of those folks got targeted. Um, some of the big yeah, journalists happened. of the suffrage newspapers lived on Staten Island. So they would they would commute into town and they had offices on Manhattan, but then they came back home. And so some of those folks were also the target of break-ins, violence, looting. I don't know if there's a body count on Staten Island, but um, maybe a handful, actually. Yeah. Not that yeah. I saw. There is property damage assessment, I think, mm -hmm. on Staten Island. And ultimately, uh, spoiler alert, it's like a million dollars in total. And I think like 50K of that is actually SI, which isn't nothing, honestly. No. That's quite a bit. In the time period. Um, like somebody's house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> More than couple, that, then couple houses, yeah, couple houses, few uh, yeah. uh building, several buildings. You made, a, you, I don't you made a dollar a day, so yeah, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's mostly going to be people who are local to the area and shitheads because it's not easy to get to Staten Island in Brooklyn during this time. You guys, there's no bridge. That's not a thing. There's no subway. You got to get your ass on a boat and get over there. That's it. And That's I don't right. know if they had like a regular ferry schedule like we do now. <laughs> there was, there were private corporate ferries that brought people up every day back and forth. Um, well, a lot more ferries than there are now, you know, now we have big municipal ferries, you know, but back then mm. there were a lot of ferries, a lot of private charters. Ferries. Going to yeah, Brooklyn so, too. See that? So yeah, so I don't know if there was some racist charter who was getting everyone over there or if it was mostly local yokels or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not great in Staten Island in Brooklyn. Um, but what's interesting, I I haven't mentioned this at all yet, but I guess I kind of have in mentioning the two people who have kind of tried to intervene on the behalf of Colonel O'Brien. There are people who are trying to help. Um, Luke, like you mentioned, there were abolitionists on Staten Island. I'm sure some of those people immediately started trying to hide black families in their homes to mm. get them out of harm's way. And this is seen mm. widely in Brooklyn and Manhattan. This is everywhere, or at least help them get out of the city proper. Maybe yes. they gave them a carriage or something to get them away and safe. And one particular area, Weeksville in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. which is extremely extremely historical and important that was a well-known free black community at the time and so a lot of uh black new yorkers this was like just make it to fucking weeksville <laughs> it was like just go 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 yeah. go because that was yeah. like a place where they could be together and congregate and really protect themselves with what armor they had there to yes. defend weeksville so that was kind of one of the few really safe escapes within the city limits. Other it's than so that, remote at that time. It's still so, so far remote. in. It's so it's, far in. Yeah. And so otherwise, like I mentioned before, you're hiding in forests. You're mm. you're trying to hide in people's homes. I mean, it's this is this is Nazi-esque scary, scary shit. And you're reminding us about these existing networks, whether it be free communities like, you know, Seneca Village or Weeksville right. or Sandy Ground, all these amazing places that were under our noses historically now speaking, right? I you know. don't forget about them very often. But also the Underground Railroad did have connections through New York City. And so there were totally. people who were already mobilized in one direction to get people to Canada, who of course would avail themselves in this situation, whether it be to gift or donate, you know, the services of a boat or a horse or, you know, monies yeah. and provisions or a seller, you know, all these kinds of things. And those kinds of things are even less documented, I think, yeah. because it's such a micro thing. Yeah. Like this is going on. I will, I will take my carriage and I will transport you and your family to the reaches of Long Island where they can't mm -hmm. get you. To the mm -hmm. far to the woods in Long Island, to the far reaches mm -hmm. of Queens, you know, like over, over the kills to New Jersey. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, it should it should be noted that there are just like in all of the most horrible stories, there are always helpers, and thank God mm-hmm. for them because they definitely risked their own lives in the process, and some of them lost their lives in the process as well. Mm. So finally, fucking finally. <laughs> We are at day four. (laughs) The first of more than 4,000 of those federal troops I mentioned have arrived. They are here. Thank God. There are five Mm. regiments from the Army of the Potomac, which, of course, had been pursuing Robert E. Lee following the Battle of Gettysburg just 10 days prior. They are rushed to New York on their arrival. uh, That basically is the beginning of everyone being like, oh, I guess it's over. I guess the fun's over. But it did take some show of force. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't a peaceful. They, there was cl- there were clashes. There was actual fighting between the mob and soldiers. It didn't totally become fully restored to order until really um, at this point we have this is who's in the city. <laughs> uh, the New York State Militia. Uh, is the 152nd New York Volunteers, the 26th Michigan Volunteers, the 27th Indiana Volunteers, the 7th Regiment of New York State Militia. This is They're all coming f- back from Forced March. Wow. And then the governor sent in the 74th and 65th Regiments of the New York State Militia, which had not been in federal service. <laughs> the 20th Independent Battery, the New York Volunteer Artillery, mm. and... Uh, yeah, so the the New York State Militia, obviously, they get there first because they're there. Um, and then soon enough, they're at this, like, several thousand militia and the federal troops all get into the city. And there's there's multiple confrontations, but the final confrontation happens at night, believe it or not, not in Five Points, guys, but in Gramercy Park, <laughs> what we call Gramercy Park today. Um, this is the upper sea, upper east side between third avenue and uh the the east river from about 21st street to 40th street this was like a holdout because all the places collapsed fairly quickly and they the people who were here for whatever fucking reason would not give it up so throughout wednesday night and all day thursday these troops were literally using howitzers to intimidate and try to overtake the remaining rioters and it took all the way till the that Thursday evening for them to finally fully surrender. So yeah, it was six thousand Union troops. In wow. it's it's crazy that that's what it required. And one of the local lawmakers at the time, uh, he said, it removed all doubt as to our ability to promptly quell the riots and restore the supremacy of law. A man named uh, Joseph, I think you would say uh, Choate, C-H-O-A-T-E, right? Yes, Choate. Choate. Uh, he was actually a prominent lawyer at the time. He was he was young, but he, at 31, but he was still very well known. He said, law and order appear to be getting the upper hand. The cruelty which has for these three days been perpetrated on the blacks is without a parallel in history. So it's over, but holy shit the mark that it left yeah we have to live with it now this starting with the least important stuff the city is a fucking mess i already mentioned it's a million to like 1.5 million in damages which is not nothing at that time you guys it's a lot of fucking money during wartime 
It's not mm-hmm. good. It's mm-hmm. really bad. And we're not just talking about like, you know, corporate fuckheads. We're talking about small business owners because essential services, essential services. I mean, the city is, is a wreck yeah. and there's also in the aftermath immediately, uh, and it, it's actually happening even during the riots. Immediately, there's finger pointing, being like, "Well, clearly this is the Copperheads' fault because they were planting all of this shit this whole time, and they're working with the Confederates." And there's, it's just all this conspiracy theory shit. And then sure. <laughs> they'll turn around and be like, "Oh yeah, Republicans. Well, if you hadn't been such dicks about this to the Irish, then the Irish wouldn't have gotten so mad." <laughs> Yeah, if old Father Abraham hadn't, you know, got this draft going, we wouldn't be in this mess. Mm-hmm. So on on everyone course. doesn't want to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't mention also, clearly, obviously, the Confederacy was stoked that this happened. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and they thought, holy shit, this is happening in New York? Well, these riots are going to sweep through the nation and it's going to ultimately culminate in some sort of large scale mutiny of the Union Army and we shall arise victorious <laughs> with our mint juleps. Um, but, you know, your the interesting point about conspiracies is that there were so many Confederate conspiracies going on oh, to try to dismantle the North. Bison. Yes. So yeah. many. It was yeah. real. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, oh, our guys got it. We did that. Yeah, that was us. Mm-hmm. We started mm-hmm. that shit. <laughs> For real. Luckily, um, there had actually already been rioting going on in Philadelphia and Ohio mm. and Boston. They're never talked about as much as New York because New York was so much worse than anywhere else. Because, you know, only in New York, baby. <laughs> Gotta be the biggest and the best, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can loot it here. You- <laughs> Crash, crash, <laughs> anywhere. Explosion, <laughs> Explosion yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so New York ultimately, thank God, turns out to be more of the climax of rioting rather than the beginning of the end of the Union as much as the Confederacy wanted that to be the case. Um, thank goodness we're in that reality. Oh, yeah. So the repercussions are immense. Um, the most sad and devastating is that the black population takes a massive hit in New York City. And I'm not sp- speaking specifically of those who were killed because we don't fully know those all of those numbers. But it's that upwards of 25% left either out of fear or simply due to homelessness and loss mm-hmm. of business and loss of work. Because some white business owners, like I mentioned with the orphanage, they were like, no, 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 no. I can't have you work here anymore. I'm terrified that I'm going to get attacked. For having you yes. work here. So you're out of a job. Good luck. Goodbye. 25% of the black population is gone. That's fucking wild. And isn't that sad that for almost 40 years, slavery had been off the books in New York yep. State? And that, mm-hmm. yes, if you were a fugitive slave, you could have been extradited or captured in New York if you were self emancipated. But if you were born free, if you were free, the North, this was the best example of like a Northern refuge. Absolutely. You know, a place where you had something in the body politic for these people. And this population had grown, beginning to strive and and get a generation beyond slavery. It's To then have this horrible 
step back. Yeah, for your friends and neighbors to be treated the way that your ancestors were in this country, yes. in this place that's supposed to be safe for you. It's really correct. So, so you can't blame them for getting the fuck no. out. Um, and those who did stay, this is really the big push um, uptown to get the fuck yeah. out of lower Manhattan because it's yeah. just not safe for them, they feel, at this point. So this is really, this is one of the many ways that this is historically beyond important because it begins to change the geography of New York in terms of its populations and where they were living mm -hmm. from this the point human forward. Geography. Yes. The human geography, which is super important. Mm -hmm. So obviously another part of this is there is punishment for, they did know who some of the worst uh, perpetrators were. They didn't know some mm. of the criminals in this situation, some of the people who killed other people. So those people obviously were absolutely arrested and I believe sentenced to jail or if not murder, um, murder, sentenced to hanging themselves. Sure, which sure. Is, you know, that's good justice. Um, yeah. And so getting back to that, that the numbers thing, it's really tough. Sure. So there's one historian named James McPherson, he believes that at least 119, 120 civilians were killed. But the numbers are sometimes put much higher because it, it would seem that a fair amount of individuals were straight up just thrown into the East River. Absolutely. Which I believe, whether alive or dead, the I believe chaos. that. Oh, God. Yeah. There is no way to really quantify this. It's really really tough now that 1928 gangs of new york book he puts it up words of like two thousand people right rivers of blood yeah that's a big jump <laughs> it is that's a big jump and he says eight thousand were wounded again that's a big uh, jump yeah to find wounded a scratch how many stitches okay i'm gonna He's need to count a journalist and and i could assume probably a sensational journalist based absolutely on you know but even mcpherson i think was doing his book in like the 70s or the 80s like there's been so much more civil war research and like we were saying an episode before yeah. the common wisdom of 1985 in terms of civil war you'd think would be settled but the biggest jump, I would say, and I think you would see the same thing in the literature that we talked about last week, is the stats. The stats are all like, throw out what you thought in terms of people who died in this conflict. Because if you could consider disease, contagion, infection, and yeah. there are so many reasons why you would suppress or undercount or underreport or just not know the numbers properly. Sure. In yeah. the in the in the aftermath of something like this, you wouldn't want to have this number be true that there were eight hundred people dead or a thousand or twelve hundred. Mm -hmm. um, to face that truth would be yeah. difficult in that moment. And the other really horribly tragic part of this story, aside from this loss of black culture in New York because we lost twenty five percent of that population, is uh, this does nothing for the reputation of the Irish. They are largely scapegoated for this. Mm -hmm. Far more than any other white individual involved in the mob violence. It's the yes. Irish. It's an the Irish nameless, mob. Oh, evil yeah. mob. Yeah. Yeah. Because let's be honest. They weren't super popular at the beginning. So now they are blacklisted in New York City. There are signs everywhere that says... Will hire blacks, not Irish. Like, right. 
they are going so in the opposite direction that I think they had hoped for. And it's heartbreaking for those Irish individuals who felt like they had done so much to secure the betterment of the Irish in New York, yes. volunteering for the army, supporting yeah. that and said, we, we've proven to them that there were, were not these thuggish brutes. And all you did was show them the worst inclinations of mankind that they think just that's just who we fucking are. And now you've stained us. Mm-hmm. And how do we roll that back? Yeah, this is another part of the healing process that has to occur after 1865. Returning from the, the front to a neighbor who may have been wronged or, you know, harmed or, you know, loved one may have been killed by someone of your same ethnic group. And it is sad. How do you square that? Were, yeah. You can. And like, it's it's doubly sad for those Irish individuals who weren't part of this at all, who felt it was disgusting. Like my ancestors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were not there. They were not there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Houdini. Say, did you find that out in a seance? We really don't know, folks. That's the that's the that's the sad thing as history people is that there's so much we don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. I have no idea. I probably have using our imagination. I have secret, like apparently somewhere in my bloodline, I'm supposedly related to Charlemagne and that's not good either. <laughs> it's also a very, it's a claim shared by millions. I mean, that guy got around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you what. I he was the Holy 20, Roman empire. Let me tell you. Okay. He was Roman a lot. Yeah. His 28th illegitimate great, 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 great grandmother seven right. times removed. Yeah. Concubine number 0081. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, extremely tragic for the Irish, but lucky for them, uh, the Chinese and the Southern and Eastern Europeans roll into New York in 1880s and the heat gets taken off of them quite a bit. And all of a That's sudden right. the Irish don't seem so bad. <laughs> The American pastime of normalizing the group we hate today for the mm -hmm. new group we hate tomorrow. God bless America. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, oh, there's a tear in my eye. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is the worst fucking story. It's so sad. Um, the only really good things that come out of it are lessons learned really mm -hmm. um and also there is more respect given towards a lot of black people in the city although there's also this fear of associating with them because of the violence sure. so it's really it's really complicated it's really terrible i mean for the number of black residents who did remain in the city it, what's so interesting is that everything the Irish tried to do or this angry mob tried to do, it's everything is given back to the black residents tenfold. So they have less than they ever did as the Irish because now like they're shit on more than ever. Uh, all of these elite New Yorkers make like these huge recovery efforts to help the black individuals who lost property, who lost businesses, whereas no such kindness is going to be afforded to any of the Irish individuals or God, white no. people in general after this shit show. So, you know, there's this continued, at least on a slightly positive note, at least there is still charity happening 
in this situation. And even at the time, people recognized that this event was primarily horrendous in the direction of Black individuals. Yes. So it is an evil, horrible Black mark on our city's otherwise stellar reputation. Mm. <laughs> a, a horrible week that is impossible for us to fathom. And again, its effects are far-reaching in how it changes the human geography, as we already said, Luke. But then also what this does for what's to come next, post-Civil mm -hmm. War. Sure. This really sort of gives us a terrifying preview of the horrors of Reconstruction. And yes. just how not good <laughs> it's going to go. <laughs> You know, I had a professor in college, uh, shout out to Bill Salka, who said that the North is more segregated than the South. And I remember he would say that in, he would say that in class to be provocative. Right. Mm -hmm. And it goes against what we assume in the North in that the North is seen as the victors on the right side of history, acting yep. as a monolith, all abolitionist, all no slavery, all. all we are all, so right? good. We are so good. Yes. And look at what you're seeing in the aftermath of this event is a rezoning of the human geography, a repopulating, a depopulating, a black depopulating, flight yeah. that's going on. And they're taking shelter in their communities where they can be unmolested, whether it be greater Weeksville, parts of Brooklyn, the Bronx, upper Manhattan. Um, and one could argue that those patterns were setting the tone for the next couple of generations. You know, very much um, so. yeah, very much so. And that's the way New York still very much is, especially when you get Robert Moses in there. He just makes those lines even harder to cross. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's when when there's these <laughs> we say it a lot, but these kind of a focusing event where it's like, it is. why the fuck would I want to intermingle with you people when I know I have safety in numbers up here or over yes. here or whatever? So, yeah, of course, I'm going to create my own enclave and get the fuck out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So when we complain about things like gentrification, understand mm -hmm. that that is at the base of all of it. It's like, we had to do this because you guys were trying to kill us. Well, don't get me started on gentrification, you know, because that's like gentrification is an example of like ability and, you know, your ability to be mobile. Your mobility is based yeah. on privilege, right? Yes. And there's this script of like well these people would have moved and no, 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 let's not do that like let's let's you know it's like they let's ran examine, away <laughs> let's examine why the white folks left to begin with in the 50s yeah yeah yeah. and now yeah. you know their great grandkids are coming back this is very you know uh uh dead horse bay now um oh yeah but i wanted to I thought about that a lot during this yeah. series, by the way sure I wanted to, you know, jump back into something. So, you know, there's really not a lot of museological treatments now, but you have some experience with a, a, a past exhibit that treated this story. I have a few things. Yeah. So I, yeah. I was going to say there is no real, you know, draft riot exhibit museum, nothing like that. When I worked at the mm -hmm. New York Historical Society years ago, I've mentioned it before on the podcast. It was this exhibit called Lincoln in New York and a big sort of portion of that exhibit was devoted entirely to the draft riots mm -hmm. and it consisted a lot of letters which was um really 
you know, not always the most compelling thing. Although it's always challenging, cool challenging museologically. Yeah, it's always cool to see something with Lincoln's signature on it, of course, because yeah. you know he wasn't too stoked that this was happening either. Um, but what really made it so compelling were two things. There was a audio installation in the center where you would mm -hmm. walk in and you would sit on a bench. It it reminds me a little bit of how In Memoriam was set up, Luke, in the 9-11 sure. museum. So you'd go in and you'd hear quotes from the time being from different newspapers being spoken aloud. And you could also hear fire and siren and like all that. It was like very intense, very scary. Mm -hmm. It really put you in the panic of yep. the moment. So that was really Smart. well done. And mm -hmm. But the real the real like showpiece of that section was the New York historical society has the draft wheel, <laughs> which is yeah. incredible. It's a draft mm -hmm. wheel that is used on the 13th. So on that Monday in the 11th and 12th wards, and it is such a special object. It is on permanent display there. You can see it mm -hmm. pretty much any time. It's never not been there in the years that I worked there and since I've visited now it's part of like that bigger sort of rando New York treasures, object collection treasures room. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually where random, it hangs yeah. out and then they'll All the put it shit. in. Yeah. yeah. If they're ever doing like a civil war exhibit, they'll pop it in there. But um, what a find, because let's be honest, this was chaos. And for something yes. like that to have not been destroyed is a fucking miracle. And it's one of those objects when you look at it and now that you have this story guys and you you've really ingested it if you were to stand in front of that object it has so much power in it now like yes. knowing what you know cuz it's that object changed history in the yes. biggest most terrifying way it's wild yeah. this pedestrian thing that looks like it belongs at a bingo hall you know, it's so boring. It's so yeah. powerful. Yeah, it's a, just a big, you know, cheese wheel with a crank. You know, it's all it and is. it's nothing. To think about impressive. all of the, all the energy that was surrounding that, all of the fear of being drafted, all of the anger at the draft in general, all of the ire and racism and hate towards people of color for whom all of this was largely inspired. Um, it's shocking, and you know, it's amazing to think about what kind of artifacts tell stories from moments like this you know we, we talk so about important. a lot of focusing events because focusing events are usually bloody and morbid so there's a reason we pay attention so yeah you know and what's what's left behind from this besides dispatches accounts you know a maybe yeah. a charred brick like you know what i mean like there's not a lot of stuff i think you know. they maybe have some draft cards also that right. were in the wheel right. yes i think that's true um but yeah, there's in terms of real artifacts, there's not a whole lot. Yeah, they actually have this this collection of 13 sketches that are um it's graphite and black ink on paper and it's literally just someone was sketching this this person mm -hmm. who's only known as G J H W. Uh they were sketching moments of the days of the riot. So they're very powerful and they're really cool. I'll right. make sure we put a link in and maybe Luke, we can post some of the actual images to our um, Instagram, but they, they speak volumes. So they're sort of a, an account, if you will, 
a visual mm-hmm. account of the of the mm-hmm. time, but like a real artifact. Even the pl- most of these places don't even exist anymore. Right, like you know, there's there's very few things that really exist. One of the only ones that I've come across, and Luke, if you if you fear hear anything about Staten Island specifically, let me know. But um, the Hopper Gibbons House, which is located mm-hmm. on West 29th Street, they were philanthropists and abolitionists and their house was sort of this main meeting place for anti-slavery activity in pre-civil war new york and it was a stop a known stop on the underground railroad the residence was targeted by the mob and it was actually set on fire and Luckily, the family, I believe, and they all got away. They were able to, like, climb the roof and, like, run across other roofs, which is so crazy and scary. But they managed to get away. Um, They were able to repair the house and get it back to, I I think, somewhat of its former glory. And it has been changed a little bit since. But um, it's one of the only surviving sites that was actually, like, a, a place that was a victim of the riot still exists, which is incredible. Yeah. So that's, you know, Luke, as a specifically a place seeker, that might be a place you want to roll by sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like now wondering, out. I'm wondering about like a draft riot, like walking tour, because this is the kind of thing I it like exists, to do. For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting about it is like the street is all that's left is the pathway is. So that's mostly what the from what I get, like. that's yeah. that's mostly what the walking tours are. Yeah. It's like right. here is where this precinct would have stood or this is the exact location of the colored orphanage versus like, Oh, let's go look at this building. That's there's just not that many of them left. And it's not even because of the draft rights. It's just because of time and New York's inability. Yeah. Yeah. New York's inability (laughs) to keep anything. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But what, what a interesting imagination exercise that would be. Um, Oh, totally. Yeah. I was going to say I wanted to uh, examine something we brought up in the previous episode about memory. And, yes. you know. Let's do it. Yeah. So I'm just fascinated by this. I've been thinking about it now for these over these two weeks, Katie. And, um, you know, riots are so quickly forgotten in yeah. terms of the long view of history. And yeah. I think it's because of the trauma that's attached to it. But in the case of these race riots, it's a refusal to confront the the reason for the race riot, which goes so much more deeply than what started the actual riot or what came after, right? Like the the story of race, you know? There's so many reasons to forget this riot for the individuals at the time. It's that component, the race component. It's the realization that there's a lot of people who live here. And if they get pissed off, it's fucking bad. Yeah. And there's more of the poor people and the angry people than the not poor people. <laughs> so if yeah. they continue to get mad, who's to say this won't happen again? So maybe we'll always keep this kind of quiet yeah. so that people don't get any ideas. <laughs> I draw a same the same the same line to like the the reason we do not remember our labor history. To me, it's the same mm. thing. Like I don't think people yeah. who are writing the books in Texas or whatever they're being published are like being persuaded by a guy with a with a with a suitcase. But I think also at the no. end of the day, like we we all we all live in the ordered world. 
And as much as we may dislike or have issues with the ordered world, we uh, we want to live in an ordered world. We want to live in the yeah. assumptive world where the, the you know the building standing today will be standing tomorrow, and like it's not going to be burned down by a mob. And like we can't live peacefully and 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 pros- in, a, in a state of prosperity where we're we're being we're burning it down every twenty years. You know, I mean, literally the the mayor of New York at the time what was his name Opdyke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the second day of the riots, he was like, "Everyone, just just go about your business." <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Crazy. Yeah, cuz they have to they their job is status quo, right? They yes. they have to keep things as they are so they don't get fucked over. So guys, let's start a riot. <laughs> Seriously. Um my one of my favorite Thomas Jefferson quotes is um, a little revolution every now and then is a good thing. Yes, I paraphrase that terribly. The blood you know of mean. patriots refreshes the flame of liberty, or something like he that. Loves, like he loves he loves saying shit like that. Like he ever <laughs> fought any? Sense. Not even blood like, in a flame. Like he never fought anything ever. Oh no, he <laughs> just sat sucking his nerd. tulips. Yeah, yeah, with his freaking really? reclining chair. Get out of here. Um, Stop something that. I'm something I'm really interested in, you know, mm. exploring is in Montgomery, Alabama. They have that Ooh. National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which opened a few yes. years ago. Yeah. And it's this really powerful, you've seen the images of like these coffin-like boxes suspended. And they I believe were, they're all supposed they're, you know, they're supposed to reflect all of the lynchings in America. A lynching, going back yeah, they like are two hundred yeah. years. Yeah, like every single box. And so, you know, bringing up the 11 who we believe or understand or at least documented, you know, lynchings of men yeah. of color, people of color in New York, you know, it's interesting to think about those forming just one couple of strands of the fabric of that site and that yes. story. Yeah. Deep in the yeah, American must, South. Yeah. They must be there. Right. Mm-hmm. I would think so. That's interesting to think if I ever make my way down there. I mean, God, that's a place that's just dripping with <laughs> human rights issues oh. and, amazing museum treatments i mean really but like mm-hmm. amazing a work. really a really scary place history wise um but yeah what if you've learned nothing else from this episode it's that new york is no exception in this very sordid fucking racist terrible history <laughs> it's just we are we are not clean friends we are not least of all us irish bastards <laughs> yes yes i have to go you know try to heal my intergenerational trauma now um <laughs> with a with 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 the internet with intergenerational pastime of a drink <laughs> well just say know, a little by... prayer for colonel o'brien it'll be fine. oh god that poor bastard don't you worry um, boy. You know, and we're we're you know making jest in light of this moment, but I want to say thank you for illuminating the story, which is not easy. A lot of times we, you know, you can't see the video, folks, but we are just re- recalling and recounting these details, and they're and recoiling painful. like you can't. Yeah, see as I say these things to Luke, the faces that wincing. He makes. He's he's very upset. <laughs> It's and very hard. And it's just horrible. And but this is like the tough part of history. And I think there's a temptation to think that the past was a utopia or that it was better or easier then. And Katie, you know, you and I worked very hard in our careers to seek out, illuminate a test to the really dark stuff because it gives yeah. us a really unvarnished picture. And this is part of it. The fact that we can spread the message of this story a little bit in a way that is comprehensive and informative, you know, and a little bit of yeah. entertainment, you know, that's what we're here to do. And I 
think above anything else you can do for your country is that is being a real patriot, is learning about it, warts and all. Like Be a citizen. Accept, yeah. accept this place for what it is. Correct. And sometimes it has been a racist shithole. That's right. <laughs> That's just what it is. And when you understand its blemishes, I think you understand its its beauty and what it gets right better. Yeah. And even this story alone, you have this these horrible acts, but alongside that are good, kind players trying to do the right thing. Yes. So always like like Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the helpers, children. Remember the helpers. Oh God. <laughs> really just want to cry tonight. Okay. Sorry. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review the Morbid Museum Podcast wherever you listen. Please communicate with us on email at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on social media at The Morbid Museum, at Instagram, and at TikTok. Please join us on Patreon. Become a Patreon supporter today, a more buddy. Uh, until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye.